talk to James today. I am excited as well. I really enjoyed him the last time he was on the show, and uh, I know he's got stuff he's working on, and I can't wait to hear about it. I, I'm going to start calling him Sir James. Sir James? It's Regal. You know, he's a musician, poet, historian, and Can writer. Can you do it with a British accent? Probably not. But um, this is no, this episode is going to be really cool because he has his has a few new songs and a book that we'll talk a little bit about. So it's kind of fun, kind of like two different creative areas. So I'm looking forward to getting getting into it with Sir James. So Brent, what have you been up to this lovely week? Fuck, I can't even remember. Same. <laughs> I no, I had a show last night. I had a songwriter's. It was not a circle. It was more like a straight line. Um, and so that was kind of interesting because it was it was at this restaurant in the middle of nowhere. But it was a good restaurant, good food. Took the whole family. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, and everyone else sang perfectly family-appropriate songs. except. And for then me. you got up there and I was talked the about one. tequila and talking to fucking gnomes in the lawns. Talking about dicks and shit. Yep, that's so, what we do. So, so I went up there and got up there and talked, and I got interviewed, which was interesting because I wasn't expecting to be interviewed for that. I was expecting to just go, hey. So now that, now that you've done this for a while, now that you've been on this side of the microphone for a while, isn't it fucking weirder than hell when someone asks you questions now? I think I talk more than what people want me to because. Yes. Shut up, you bitch. <laughs> but, no, that show was fun. I have a show at the Carousel next week, is which is where we'll be having the one of the Sound Pollution podcast shows. So. Yeah, let's talk about that. Talk about that. So that's going to no, be fun. Excited. So we, I think, I think we pretty much have officially, unofficially locked in the dates. Unofficial. Unofficially locked in the dates for the tours. Um, the tour events, so we're going to have three events, and it should be exciting. One at the Carousel Lounge, one at Ricktoberfest, and then another one with what? Can we talk about at least the bands that we have solidified for the shows? You're talking about the confirmed lineups? The, we still, by the time this gets out, we'll probably already have this confirmed, but as of the time of this recording, which is, you know, three weeks in the past for you folks... I'm still waiting on one, maybe two very important emails. But as of now, the confirm confirms go. Well, I don't know them as well as you. Oh, for but. Sake. Well, we have Uncle Brent and the No Stone. Duh. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick. Round Rock, Rock Rick. Rick. Really excited. Andy Serber and Thumper Salyer of RMA. Mm-hmm. My boys. We have Trashy Annie. Oh, yeah, Trashy Annie. I'm so stoked to have a girl on the bill. And uh, it's just important to me personally. And elephants and dogs. Yeah. I'm very happy. Yep. We I'm very have. Happy today. Oh, but there's more. We will have Dark Soft as well, and both the acoustic and the full band show. And and the gentleman that we are interviewing today confirmed we have Masonic Block. Sir James. Sir? So, yeah, it's going to be cool. And, man, that full band show with the lineup. Oh, it's going to be so fire. Oh, my gosh. I, come, come and expect to have a good time. You're going to hear everything. You're going to have so much fun. You're going to shake your butt. It is going to be a blast. Even music that doesn't normally melt your face will melt your it's face that night. It's going to melt night. your face. I'm excited. I've got my notes. I'm ready to go. Uh-oh. Well, we missed you, James. How are you? I am great. I'm, I'm so glad to be talking to you again. I'm so glad you came back. Hey, dude, you have so much stuff going on online. You're like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so we're a musician, poet, historian, and writer. Oh, and also the host of Disabuse Podcast. Coming to us to discuss a few songs in a new book, Sir James of Masonic Block, in your Hello. face, without <laughs> pants on. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. The person under my desk right now knows, but we won't talk. <laughs> what have you been up to? 
other than work. You work, 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 work. You are a working man. You are like. Yeah, somehow I have the ability of looking like I'm doing nothing, and yet all of this product somehow comes out. I'm not entirely sure how that happens. But, yeah, I'm an academic tutor by day, and I write. I write history. I write songs, of course. Uh, I'm going to be doing some guest lecturing to uh well, I'm doing doing a week of uh history lectures to a, a college class here locally in July. I've been asked to do that. I'm really excited about that. I love guest lecturing. Uh yeah, I have a new book out called History Killers, which is also the name of my Substack. I have a second book coming out in a few months, which is another work of history, but because I my day work often uh, correlates with the academic year. Those uh, hours are drying up for a while, but I'm I'm very happy about that mm-hmm. because it gives me more time to get back into focus, focusing on music, which I haven't been able to do lately. And I have maybe halfway or two thirds done album, so okay. I'll spend the summer um, finishing that up. I'm very excited about that. And it'll be I haven't done a heavy album in a while. So this will be uh, an album almost entirely of, like, heavy hitters. Nice. So I'm kind of disappointed with you, Sir James. So during our last interview, you said, oh, I have an interest in history. You were kind of all flaky. So <laughs> but so ba- basically you have this book out called History Killers and Other Essays by an Intellectual Historian, which is a fucking book. This it seems like your areas of interest are focused on the distortion of historical events, the deficiency of critical thinking and the reluctance to uncover truth, regardless of how it might unfold. Is that an accurate statement on what your writing uh, yes. goals are? Yeah, that's, yeah. Where the, that's where the term history killers comes from. I, I, I dub people who want to obscure or distort history for political aims and this is bipartisan this is all across the political spectrum i'm not i'm not partisan in my criticism of people who do that you hate everyone equally i like that exactly right yeah i'm very charitable that way (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think that's exciting so is that that book is already out correct yeah that was released in april i think link in the description just go yes. down below. You can I'll find it in the, yep. in the description. You. you just have to go down. Go if all you're not down far enough, we'll let you know. You need to click the button. So cool, man. I'm so pumped about what you're doing. You are overwhelming online. And the funniest thing is I got all up in your shit the last time, mm-hmm. and now there's more shit to get all up into. And I'm like, motherfucker. He's a working guy. <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump into the first song, Id. Tell me about it, man. Yeah, Id. Um it's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. It's got a kind of strange, it's mid tempo. It's a little bit faster than like, it's not, it's not a slow song. It's mid to upper mid tempo, but it's a weird song that has that kind of tempo that is in three, four in the choruses. You don't think of a song being one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And I've rarely done it live, but I was really happy to have finally gotten, uh, it was entirely my fault, but for the longest time, I just I wasn't sure a drummer could do it because that's one of the songs that I recorded everything myself, mm-hmm. and, th- and those are live drums; they're not programmed. So I had to go in when I recorded that song. I just I didn't have scratch tracks. I just played the drums to the song in my head, and then overdubbed everything on top of it. Um, so I had to have it down really well, and I did it in two takes and. It's not one of those songs that's necessarily hard to play on the drum. We're not laughing at you. We're mad at ourselves. Oh, <laughs> We're like, oh my God. You're <laughs> fucking insane. To song in my head. No big deal. Anybody can do it. Go ahead. Oh, my God. You're well, fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> well, so the, the choruses are in 3-4, which is not in and of itself that strange. For, but for it to go back and forth between 4-4 four, four in the verses and then 3-4 in the choruses, and to do at that sort of rate is a little bit unusual, and it's not easy to get a drummer to play it because they inevitably want to play in 6-8 or something that's, um, I don't know, that makes more sense to a drummer, but I really wanted kick-kick-snare, kick-kick-snare, kick-kick-snare with this very sort of driving thing, and it's hard to get a drummer to do that because there's no room for them to do fills, 
They can't be flashy. They have to be kind of like a pile driver. And so, yeah, very much so. So I didn't even bother asking any drummers for years to learn how to play it because I thought I was doing them a disservice. But finally last year, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of it. I really want to play this live. And so the drummer that will be joining me, he knows how to play that on drums. So we'll definitely be playing it. Is he a country drummer? Uh, he, He can play anything. Yeah, but country drummers normally navigate between 4-4 and 3-4 pretty easily. Oh, that's true. That's That's true. true. The cool thing about this song is this, like, bass is the star on this song. I mean, you're playing a cool bass line, and you're even throwing in some bass harmonics, too, I think. Yep. But but you don't do it at the beginning. You do it kind of a little further down. The other thing is about this song, it has a cool dissonance. Everything is dissonant. Because it's like you're in key and then you go a little bit dissonant. It almost had a Trent Reznor feel to it to me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Not that, yeah. And then my favorite part was the verse two with the Talking Heads vocal harmonies. You oh. sounded just like the Talking Heads. Not say your that. voice, but your how you chose to sing the harmonies. Do you know who the Talking Heads are? I love the Talking Heads. I've just I've never heard that comparison. I really appreciate it. it. It made itself out. So here's my question: How did you get the vocal and guitar distortion? Did you use a fuzz pedal, lo-fi recording technology? What did you do? Because both of them were distorted. How did you do it? Yeah. So there's a couple of vocal tracks. One is uh, pretty standard. It was probably an SM57 or 58. Um, this was several years ago I recorded this, but it was a clean recording, but it was pretty quiet and deliberately so. I de- deliberately kind of underpowered the signal so that it would naturally lay quiet in the mix no matter how much you turned it up. And then the other one was distorted literally by patching a distortion pedal into it. And I, it was some sort of, um, I want to say it was, uh, What's what's the the green distortion pedal that um, tube screamer tube screamer I think it was a tube screamer I, I can't say for sure but I'm pretty sure it was a tube screamer um, my true geek is poking out <laughs> and those vocal tracks are somewhat panned left and right not entirely but they're slightly off center in the mix and then the the distortion of the guitars or the bass you hear um, it's a kind of a similar thing it's a clean bass signal on one one track so because i wanted to really define slinky sort of sound because there's a lot of walking bass lines going on and then there's a doubled track uh, where i re-recorded it and i used some kind of metal distortion pedal but i deliberately used a dying battery so i put a dying battery into a metal distortion pedal so that it would sound like a fuzz it would have been easier to just use a fuzz pedal but I thought I thought this will be a fuzz that nobody else can do. Yeah. Uh, well, that's because, funny because I was like, I was like, he's got to be playing a fuzz pedal, right? You know. But so that makes sense. Very cool. Very cool.
Uh, uh, okay, sorry. I was all lost in the lingo there. I think I might have zoned out. I was like fuzz pedals, green screamers. Oh, I was going to say, though, in terms of, like, the title and the lyrics, I think yeah. I was going to start there, and then somehow I That's said okay. something else. You nerded out. We appreciate it. I did. It. I did. Um, id, it's a Freudian term, and I'm not really a Freud guy at all, but it's a useful term, which is like um, your animal, your base nature, your animalistic self, um, you know, small children are, you know, kind of it, little ids in that, you know, it's all about their appetites, right? You know what I'm talking about. So, mm-hmm. um, but the id is also often what's celebrated in kind of rock and roll and stuff. And the point of the song, I think on a surface level, some people might misconstrue what I'm saying. Because there's a line in it that says, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, you're so proud, but it's all you've got. Um, but the, the point is that, of that is not, cause I mean, I love sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I, that's not I mean, what who I'm doesn't? <laughs> right. It's the, the idea of sex or drugs or rock and roll being themselves rebellious mm-hmm. is silly because the fact that they appeal to our base nature means that they're kind of the most natural things we can possibly be into because they're so, they are a form of, uh, satisfying our appetites, you know, our base sort of appetites. And so it's it's not a critique of those things, but it, it is saying that we should we should strive for a sort of artistic level of this stuff that rises above just the base nature. Even though I'm all about celebrating those those base natures, but we can do something more than that. And I think that's also why I tried to pick a sort of cadence and sort of rhythm and a time signature that was somewhat unusual. So I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. It really does. It's very cool. So the first verse you're talking about one thing, and then the second verse you're talking about another thing. And they're related, but they're not directly on top of each other. So I like that. If a large part of the population is doing sex, drugs, and rock and roll, is it actually unexpected? Is it actually rebellious? That's what he said. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's not. Right. So that's kind of cool. I, I mean, you pointed that out, I think. Just delete everything I said. <laughs> it's kind of like rebellious in the name of what? And it to, to me, there's, I'm not going to name any names because I'm not a cruel person, but there are forms of rock music, let's say, that are sort of like corporate, you know, it's it's sort of the appearance of rebellion, but it's about as rebellious as going going to the mall. Right. It's, Machine Gun Kelly. Sorry. I'm sorry. Just, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I am not naming names, but it, it's speaking to that. It's like, you know what? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll can be absolutely amazing, but because of that, let's have it serve something that's a little bit more interesting than going to the mall. So <laughs> I like it. I like that your lyrics are really, they make you think. They're very, very in-depth. On, on all the songs you sent, there, there. You had something to say. Do, when you start to write lyrics, are you intentionally like, I want to make people think like I do when they read my books, or are you just kind of like, oh, this beat makes me feel this? Like, how do you approach it? Is it the lyrics first or the music first? It's always different. So um, probably more often than not, the music comes first, and the best songs, the music and the lyrics almost come at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always different with, uh, with id, um, they came almost together. I think the, I was, it's pretty clear. I wrote it on bass. Like I wrote it on the bass guitar from start to finish. And then I basically use, um, the guitar track on there with a delay pedal to sort of augment what's already there for the most part. And then to add a little bit extra distortion and things like that. But yeah, I think the lyrics came almost like, right right on the heels of the music i the other thing is too is if you think about it other than drums bass is like one of the core elements of the band mm-hmm. it pretty much it's the driver it, it, really next to the drums it fits between the rhythm and the melody you know it's it's the thing the yeah thing. absolutely and you know and some of my 
most favorite musicians have been bass players of very different styles too. Like I, I have a lot of respect for the very simplistic sort of standard bass playing style of somebody like Roger Waters, mm. um, you know, where it's mostly just root notes and then augmenting it with octaves. That there can be a lot of power in that, but then I'm also a big fan of uh, Cliff Burton is like way up there for me. Uh, the Cliff Burton era of Metallica and what he did, not only as a bass player, but as a songwriter, which I think are very connected to each other. Yeah. Are, are very important to me. And I played bass probably for one of the longest periods of time in different bands over the years. And I think that's what I like about it is that it is both a rhythmic as well as a melodic instrument. So I, I'm going to, okay, this is just a guess. And I'm guessing this song is probably Brent's favorite, and and I could be wrong. Let's talk about now. Crack my shell. Yes, I knew it. it. (laughs) (laughs) How well do I know my co-host? I was like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, this is Brent written all over it. Also, side note, I am requesting you play that at the acoustic show. Oh, consider it done. Yes, (laughs) I love playing that live. Yeah, definitely. So tell us about it. I don't think it in any way sounds like a Paul McCartney song, but uh, his form of songwriting uh, in terms of the lyrics informed what I wanted to write in that um, this was back when I lived in Olympia, Washington. I was taking the bus somewhere and I had had it in my mind for a week or two. Like I, I think of myself like between like the John Lennon versus the Paul McCartney. I think I'm a little bit more of a John Lennon in terms of that, of that, most of my songs are a little bit more autobiographical and personal and whatnot, but I always really respected people like Paul McCartney who can write songs that are practically third person or or just kind of slice of life kind of stuff. And yeah, so, he is very good at that. Yeah, so part of the reason uh, for the lyrics in particular in Now Crack My Shell is that I wanted to write something that was a little bit more slice of life and so it's literally the lyrics are literally me being on a bus going through downtown Olympia and looking around and like observing the other people on the bus and and the the places that we're passing and just you know try to celebrate sort of those beautiful little things that can so often just pass us by that we don't normally pay attention to. Yeah, I really like the lyrics. Go ahead, Brent. I know you're dying. Yes. So I was going to ask, is this a people watching self-reflective song? Wow. So, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. So I was my favorite line in that is the health, the wealth, the things we felt a sign of times now crack my shell. That is a cool line. The Thanks. other thing is when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is a tasty little groove. And I was like, oh, it's kind of punk. But it has that yeah. walking on sunshine feel without the horns. You know that song? Yeah. Walking yeah, yeah. on sunshine. Yeah, it's got a bounciness to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but the, the coolest part was that rhythm bump in the one minute and 44 second range. And then when you went into the bridge, I think it is. Okay. And I thought that was cool. But it's basically the heavier part of the song, I think. Yeah. And then you have a great vocal grit in the chorus that's very compelling. I was really impressed with the vocals on this one too. But and it and it was kind of self-reflective, which I thought was interesting too, because I was like, ah, he's just watching people and trying to figure out is he still who he is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of and, thing. That, so, and that line that kind of um, there's not exactly a chorus to this song. In a, in a way, the bridge is the chorus and the chorus is the bridge mm-hmm. uh, in the way that it's formatted. And so, for some reason, a, a fair amount of my songs turn out that way. And it is representative of something else I tend to do, which is, um, vocal less choruses. I have a number of songs that have choruses that don't have any vocal. I noticed that. I was going to yeah. ask about that, but go ahead. Yeah, that's not always the case, but it's certainly, for whatever reason, something that I, I lean into. Uh, but the main refrain in Now Crack My Shell, the health, the wealth, the things we felt, a sign of times, Now Crack My Shell, that's also a little bit of an inside joke in that for years, you know, I, I struggled and all, all that mattered to me was to be on the road and to, to do shows and to travel the country and and to do music and... You know, 
artists inevitably will get that sort of, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket thing. And at some point I started saying, it's not that I have all my eggs in one basket. It's that I have one egg. And so that frag my shell is a little bit of, you know, it's a little bit of a take on that. It's like, you know, this is what I'm doing. It's, I think when you're driven to do something, whatever it is, it doesn't feel like a choice. You know, if you're passionate about something, that is what guides you. That's the reason that you wake up in the morning. That's the thing that motivates you. And for people who don't have that, they have a really hard time understanding you. And so that's partly also what the song was speaking to. But I don't have a basket. So where do you get one of those things to hold my egg? Your one egg? That's right. You have more than one egg. I have like half an egg. It's half eaten. It's like a boiled egg. It's been a mongoose is eaten. It's an Easter egg that got hidden and forgotten, and now all we can do is smell it. It's halfway broken. (laughs) No, um, I have several eggs now. I didn't at the time, and and you know now now I juggle them because I also don't have a basket.
So you said you're you're almost done with the album that you you want to finish this summer. Yeah. How many more songs do you think you need to finish it? Um, I think there's seven. I want there to be at least eight, but knowing me, I'll probably have ten on there. Because it's always playing catch up. Like there's always, I I want to include something new that maybe I wrote this year or this the past few months or whatever. There's this huge backlog as well that you're also trying to catch up with. You know, George Harrison said about the White Album once, like, you know, why were there so many songs? And he's like, well, you want to get rid of them so you can write more songs. And so that get, getting rid of is that you got to put it on an album because that's where they go. So what's it like being a prolific songwriter? Because I would say uh, you're beyond prolific. How would you explain that to people to always have that song kind of like always right here? Because your work is so varied and it's like across multiple genres. You talk about, you know, anything from history to love. How does it feel to to have a brain like that? Because inquiring minds would like to know. It's a little bit of an obsession that um, I have less of now. The more I've leaned into my historical work and I'm writing books and articles that certainly sapped some of the energy from the songwriting, but that's good for me. There, there was a time, that time when I only had the one egg, um, that wasn't necessarily the healthiest mentally for me because it mm-hmm. meant I couldn't think about anything else, including relationships or whatever. Like, I was so, you know, myopic. I was just uh, incapable of focusing on anything. And... It is a gift to be able to write and constantly have things coming to you, but in a way, it's a it's a form of possession, not just obsession, but possession. The um, one of my albums is called "Consumed by the Fire," and that's that's what it's referencing: is that you're constantly consumed by uh, all of these things, you know, all of these ideas, all of the time, and you know, it can keep you from sleeping sometimes for days. So I don't miss that part of it. Well, I remember one night, this was, I don't know, a handful of years ago, uh, walking late, it was maybe 11 o'clock at night, walking across town uh, over to this person's house, and uh, we not to do any music or anything, just to hang, and a song came to me, no guitar in hand, just a song came to me as I was walking. And I knew if I'm going to hold on to this, and they weren't a musician, so they didn't have a car, uh, guitar at their house. No. So I had to keep it in my head and go there, hang out with them. Shit. We hung out all night, oh, tied no. one on, you know, and I needed to keep secretly <laughs> this thing going on repeat in my brain over and over and over again so that finally at 6 in the morning – when he's passed out and I'm walking back across town home, I'm still going through it over and over and over in my head so that finally when I get home at 7 in the morning, I can pick up my guitar and figure out what the chords are and there's my song. And I would have I would have lost that song, which I, is one of my favorite songs I've ever written, if I hadn't obsessed over it for 16 hours or whatever it was. What, what song was that? It's a song called Kika. Yeah, I I would agree with everything you're saying, but really, if you think about it, the research you do for your writing is very similar to songwriting, too, because you may not be working on rhythm and rhyme, but you're trying to say something and trying to be creative in how you say it. So I think just creative writing and songwriting are very similar you know, I also think being a stand-up comedian is very similar to being a songwriter, too. Yeah, I would agree with that. For sure. Definitely. The storytelling and then the balls to get up in front of people and bear it all. Yeah, and the, the pacing and and yeah. drawing things together in a very specific way that's relatable to people. Definitely. Yep. I wish I could do that. I wish I could do stand-up comedy. That would be terrifying, but so much fun. I think it would be freeing. I yeah. I think it's probably the most impressive art form there is because it's truly just a person with a microphone. Like, uh, you know, it's different when you have 
a band to hide behind or even a guitar to hide behind to just stand up there, no music, nothing, and just speak to a crowd and captivate them. Yeah, I've always found that really interesting. I think it's really cool, too. Um, I find that when I listen to comedians or I read something or I listen to a new song, I find it generates more creativity in me because specifically with comedians, sometimes as people, like some people have a really good grasp of language and what they're going through, but some people have problems explaining what they're going through or their ideas, whereas comedians are throwing out ideas, sometimes in a way that everyone can accept them, sometimes not. But they, they throw them out in a way that uh, allows people to go, yes, that's what I feel. That's what our music does, too. You know, I'm not the only one. I'm not crazy. Well, you may be crazy, but you're not the only crazy person yeah, here. You yeah. are not alone in the crazy. But, but and I, I really think comedians are kind of the kind of the last true gateway of creativity, you know. Back in the, you know, if you go back in history, you find painters and philosophers. And I think comedians are going to be our, you know, us people living right now. People are going to look back and go, oh, my God, did you listen to Sam Kinison? Mm. You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, people are still playing Sam Kinison stuff, and he's been dead since uh, 89, 90. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but anyway. I sidetracked this. I apologize. No, I think, I think you're right. In a way, they're kind of the last best hope. And in a time when free speech is really important to maintain, comedians have been really at sort of the forefront in, in de de defending that. And that's extremely important. So, yeah, I, I, my hat's off to them for sure. Let's talk about um, the last song. This is my favorite one of the ones you sent me. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I really like the guitar, especially at, in the intro. But anyway, Born Silver, tell me about that. Yeah, Born Silver. Um, that's one of uh, one of the songs I've written where it's deliberately written in a way where it could it could be about falling in love, and it could be about having a religious experience. Either ah. interpretation works, and I wrote it that way on purpose because when you do fall in love, it is that kind of experience. It is a world-changing, like it. you can feel your body chemistry change. Like it is this sort of all-encompassing, uh, world-changing event. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very enlightening experience. And so I, I just use the term born silver because that also represents this sort of like a rebirth, a rebirth into something kind of extraordinary and new. Um so that that's sort of the the sentiment behind it and basically i wanted to write something that had uh, no other aims but to sound beautiful i just i wanted to I love it i just wanted to have a beautiful melody with no other sort of you know it ends up exploding into some weird noise in the middle of the song and cuz i can't help but doesn't that feel like love too like, are yeah. they going to say it back? And it's terrifying. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's been so long, a, I forgot, but I'm guessing. <laughs> no, that's true. There's an anguish there. In there the, is. Even, even when everything's great, there's a sort of anguish there because of how fragile those things can be. You know, when I saw the title, I was like, oh, that's very interesting. Before even listening to the songs, I started getting all these preconceptions about it. You know, and I was like, maybe he's talking about born with a silver spoon or maybe he's talking about something else. Awesome song. Um, it has nice picking. I was wondering, you know, when you were writing it, it kind of had a Hindustani feel, kind of almost a cats in the cradle picking, but Indian style, too. Did you mean to do that? No, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. Yeah. I love that you're so honest about that. That is my favorite thing about him. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> I uh, well, what might not be readily uh, sort of apparent is that that song's in drop D, and you, most people think of drop D songs if, if they think in such terms to begin with. That's usually <sighs> something for like a heavy, yeah, like Melvins or Pantera or you know, uh, and any any heavy band of the past 15, 20 years uh, is drop D or lower, 
right? And so it, it tends to be equated with uh, really heavy, hard music. And I liked the idea of when I found, sort of found the, the chord pattern that I liked, I noticed that it, it was all around D. I was like, oh, well, let's, let's lower this to a drop D. And, and that way you get that's really droney rather than just like muting the, the, uh, the low E string. Uh, by having it, and I, I wonder if the, the Indian sort of part of it comes from the droniness also. Yes, yeah, but yes, it, it was yeah. very meditative. Um, really like and, it. Yes, it's the droning. So the question that I had is, when you were transitioning from the intro riff to the heavy section, mm-hmm. what did you use to get there? Because I thought I was hearing flange, then I was like, no, it could be a wah, and then I was like, it could be tremolo too, a tremolo pedal. Or it could be a Vibrolux amp. So what did you use to to transition those sounds and stuff? So the the um, the underlying guitar track, um, and I think it's two passes, two tracks are unaffected. And then, and then I I overdubbed with a flange on uh, one track, and then the other track has a bit of delay, but combined with the delay, I deliberately play it half a beat out of time. So it's a delay plus an extra delay because I'm playing deliberately behind the beat. And so it's a sort of uh, emphasized or exaggerated delay. But that flange you hear is real. And I think probably the, the other guitar that is playing behind everything else um, with some delay also plays off of the flange really well and it kind of makes everything a wash and then uh i think it's the guitar that has the flange on it is also distorted so it's a it's a sort of wild distorted flange effect that kind of like bends in and out and kind of goes all over the place yeah that was a that was a nice job i was really interested in it you know as far as i felt myself calm down when i was listening to it because i'm pretty when I'm getting ready for these shows sometimes and I'm working at the same time, I'm pretty like, whoa, trying to get stuff done. And that one came on and I was like, oh, okay. It's yeah, like kind of mellowing me out. Yeah. The, the coolest thing about the heavy part was you were able to, to make it heavy, but keep, kind of keep the main riff present in the mix. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really nice too, you know, cause you had some seriously, not aggressively heavy stuff, but definitely heavy stuff going on, but you were able to have the presence of mind to, to keep the melody, the, the, the overall arcing, arching melody of the song up in the mix as you were going through it. So I thought that was really interesting too, as far as being a listener. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and that was very deliberate with having that main clean guitar, not having it disappear. Because some that's something I've noticed that uh, people do sometimes, where when something goes heavy or gets bigger, the the clean guitars drop out. They either entirely go away or they really drop in the mix. And I hate that because I feel like it's a misunderstanding that some people have, where like a distorted guitar means loud and a clean guitar means quiet, but that's a really limited way of looking at it. And by keeping the clean guitars up, I feel like um, it carries the song much more strongly uh, through it. And in terms of the, uh, the arpeggios um, in, in the whole rest of the song, um, I don't think of myself as a very good picker or very, that's one of those songs that um, when I wrote it, it made me a better player because I had to be a better player to play the song I just wrote. And do you know what I mean? Like yes. sometimes, sometimes you write a song that's 10 or 15% beyond your capabilities. And so you have to get better just to be able to play that song. Born Silver is definitely one of those.
I think he should be really proud of the work he's done recently. Not that you weren't proud before, but maybe you should be a little more proud. I really appreciate that. Well, you know, uh, uh, again, with Born Silver in particular, and it's it's one of a sort of crop of songs that were influenced by this. One of my all-time favorite bands is, uh, and they're long defunct, but um, Swans. I don't know if either of you ever listened to Swans, but mm-hmm. they they were a band that they were a sort of a no-wave post-punk band in the early 80s. They came out of the New York scene with Sonic Youth and whatnot. Very noisy, very, very noisy. And over time, they went from being one of the most brutal, noisy bands you'll ever hear to being this acoustic, melodic, folky, beautiful music. And it, it's such an interesting um, evolution that they took. And when they started doing really beautiful music, it's some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever heard. And when that began to influence me, I was like, I want to write something like that. Like, I love playing loud, obnoxious stuff, and I'm always going to have that. But to be able to truly write something that's just beautiful, and that that's the entire aim of it, uh, that's the sort of swans element for me. So would you say that when, and I'm kind of speaking from my own person, when I write a song and it, there's a portion of it, it can be either the lyrics, the music, the guitar part, the rhythm, that kind of causes me trepidation. For me, I know, okay, that's a good song and I need to really explore it. Does that happen to you? I don't know that I'm understanding your question enough. Can you Unpack that a little bit more. So let's say I have I have I have a song that I wrote. It's called Her Pain. And that one was basically a conversation that me and my wife would have when we were going to jobs we hate. Mm -hmm. And so the whole song came from those conversations. It wasn't just one. So it was a really personal song. If you listen to the song, you're in the car with us. You're in the Prius stuck for an hour and a half driving to work and it's just sucking um not not the company the drive going to the job right. and and i was never going to release that song it was never i was burying it, it was never going to see the light of day but then my producer said he goes like okay i need you to send me some songs because you need one more and i was like okay and i just threw that one in there it was a crappy acoustic version and that's the one he chose you know, but and the reason I didn't want to record it was one, it was deeply personal. And then yeah. the other thing about it was it made me scared because it was so personal. And you don't know if you should be releasing that to the world. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Uh, Yeah. If for me, if anything, I've been guilty of not knowing when not to do that. If that makes sense. <laughs> that is obvious. That is obvious, my friend, but we love that about you. He's like, fuck it, here it is to the world. Yeah, pretty much. Like your lump it. I have gotten better about that, but still, there's like, I still have songs, like, I've gotten through most of them, like, Sarah's was one of those songs, and Her Pain was one of those songs, and then I have a final song that I'm working on. It's called Hearts that I'm working on, so... That will probably be the last one that I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I've written, for me, it's been a little bit more, um, like it has a title that I just know it's going to turn some people off. But it's like, well, it's just the title. Like I almost, if I, if I, if I retitle it something else now because I know some people aren't going to like it, I don't think that works either. For me, any sort of, I, I guess it's the second guessing. I, I learned a long time ago not to second guess myself. And I think that's why I don't tend to have that issue. That's cool. I hate you. (laughs) It's not always a good thing. So you are coming to the Sound Pollution Tour, and you are going to play at the Acoustic and at the Full Band Show. We are so excited to have you. We already kind of expressed that before I started recording. What can our... Listeners who are going to be there expect to hear from Masonic Block. Ooh, um, dum 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 dum. <laughs> do you mean do you mean acoustically or either both of them? What what can they expect from your performance? 
There'll be a slight overlap, but for the most part, there will be um, quite a difference between the two, which would be a reason to attend both. So, you know, kind of more of a folky acoustic pop sort of approach um, with the acoustic stuff. I like to keep it sort of to, you know, songs. Here's this song. Here's that song. Whereas when I'm able to play heavier stuff or just have the option of doing it, I, I never... I, that never means that there won't also be some melodic stuff in there too. Sometimes I think it, there's something really powerful being able to play something melodic really loud and heavy at the same time. But probably the acoustic performance is good for toe tapping and humming along and the band performance is good for having, having your face melted. My two favorite things. Yeah, me too. Give our listeners a refresher on where they can find you and where they can support Masonic Block. Uh, MasonicBlock.com. You can listen to some music. You can uh, buy some music, download some of the songs. You can download songs. You can download entire albums. Um, we definitely appreciate that. We we have at least half of our catalog on Spotify and things like that. Um, you can always do that. Um, it's, it's always nice to get support from people who will actually be willing to pay for some music though, you know, so yeah. that, that means, you know, paying a, you know, a little over a dollar for a song or 10 bucks for an album. That means that it's there for life and you don't have to negotiate with some sort of streaming service sometime in the future in order to have access to the music you like. Um, and I, I'm just of that sort of school that, you know, artists should be supported for their work. So that's that's a big reason for the the website. And that's also how people can communicate with us if they want to reach out to us. It's actually better to email us masonicblock at protonmail.com rather than through any of the socials cuz we're on some socials but we really like to communicate um through our own platform and I encourage more and more people to do it that way. I think that's the future is people having more control over their content in that way. But yeah, MasonicBlock.com, and then if people are interested in any of my historical writing, they can check out History Killers at Amazon um, or go to Substack, HistoryKillers.Substack.com to read some articles. I want to thank you for coming on again and hanging out with us. It's good to talk to you again. I, I'm excited about what you're doing. I, well, I just wanted to thank you both. It's always great to talk to you. I hope I hope you'll have me back. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in, in the real world. In October. In October. Man, I like talking to James. I know. I really enjoy James. Oh, that sounded this is, dirty. I like talking to him, man. He, I do, too. His music was good. He has exciting stuff going on. I'm always, I'm always impressed when we talk to him. You know, not... I mean, even email exchanges, I'm like, holy crap. He has his shit together, and he is one of the most prolific songwriters I think I've ever met. And in multiple genres. He doesn't stick to, like, one thing. He's like, that was fun. Let's try this now. You know, and I, I, as we've talked about on the show before, I love artists that do that. And yeah. he's really intelligent, which makes him fun to talk to. I like smart people. He is. Uh, sometimes I, I almost feel he's too smart. Because <laughs> no like I'm like, God damn it, man! I don't want to think right now. Yeah, you don't have a choice. I but, like it. But I, imagine that after a couple shots of Jim. I I I am all gutter at that point. <laughs> <laughs> if you want any critical thinking, you need to start before I'm in the gutter. Okay. Thank you again, James, for being on the show. Remember you, to like, boy. follow, subscribe. Yeah, big boy. Like, follow, subscribe, and download. We really, really can't stress it. We need you to download. It does make a difference. It's what the sponsors and advertisers see. Um, I know, we know from our feedback, we have more listeners that are streaming than are downloading, or we wouldn't keep doing this. So please keep downloading. Yes, oh, and and don't give us that lip service. You know, if you're going to give us lip service, actually do it. Download. Uh, make sure you click on that link below, as we always ask you to do. But go buy, go buy the book. Go buy the book. 
We've had a lot of writers on recently. We have. I really like that. That makes Imagine me that. Musicians that know how to write. Oh, my God. It's a miracle. Y'all guys just hang in there. Download the episodes. Reach out to us anytime, and we will try to answer. Sometimes Have a good we're, evening. Sometimes we're slow, so because we're old. And remember to make, make some.